Has anyone ever known a good person named Kevin? Kevin Garnett helped me move once. Santa Cruz, you gotta be a cool guy if you're from Santa Cruz, right? Like, no one ever goes, oh, this douchebag from Santa Cruz cut me off. Kevin, I mean, he really drives the ship in an amazing way on the show. And, you know, he is one of the guys that just brings not only, like, just funny, funny jokes, but a huge intelligence, and he just gets stuff done. Funny is good, and Kevin's funny, but bright, right. even even better, and the guy's just super high IQ. Exactly. Someone comes onto the school and... And you've got Kevin. Now, I'm sure Kevin's shit hot at Call of Duty, but it might not fucking cut it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, go listen to The Life of Riley. His last episode is gold. Oh, good. Hmm. Good day, or good evening, to everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Life of Riley. I'm your host, Kevin Riley, and it's been a little bit of a bit. Huh? I think, uh, last episode was back in November. Oh, it's been a crazy few months. Just in my own personal life, let alone in the rest of the country and the world. Holy shit. Uh... Uh, my daughter moved to town, which has been awesome, uh, but a major adjustment. And, uh, during that I moved house. So that's been nuts. Started another job. So now I'm working two jobs. Oh yeah. And then we had this little election thing, uh, right after we recorded the last episode. And I tell you what, I never had any intention of this being a show about politics, and I still don't really, but there's kind of not a whole lot else to talk about these days, it seems like, you know, and it's it's really tough to keep up. There's something new splashing, uh, if not on the internet in general, at least on Twitter, just about every damn day uh, with this new guy. I'm just going to jump right in here. Um talk about some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. And the first thing I want to talk about, and I've been going round and round on this and how to do it and how to present it and talking to producer Wendy and getting her input. And I'm not sure I have it figured out, but what the hell I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. Producer Wendy brought me a link to a video that is of a film made by the War Department when it was still accurately called the War Department before we changed it to the the Department of Defense. And it was made, I think in my research, it was either produced in 1943 or 1945. I want to say 43, but it didn't become available outside of the military until 1947, uh, which history buffs out there will know that that was after the end of World War II, 
whereas the other two dates uh, are during and at the very end of World War II. And World War II ended in 1945. You know, when she first found it, she told me about it. She's like, you've got to see this film. You've got to see this thing. We've got to watch it together. We've got to talk about this. This is nuts. And as is my tendency, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, I'll see what it is. I just... <laughs> it's hard to get me fired up, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> but, uh... So it took us a little bit before we could get together to watch this thing. And um, I've posted a link to it on on our Facebook. And I hope some of you have watched it by now. If you haven't, I'm also going to have a link in the show notes for this episode. So if you haven't watched it yet, it's only 17 minutes long. I, I, I suggest that you, you know... Go have a look. And uh, whether you agree with my take on it or not, I guess. Um, so it's called Don't Be a Sucker. It's produced by the War Department during World War II. And the first couple of minutes are, frankly, if it had gone on like that for another 13 seconds, I probably would have stopped watching it. Uh, so bear with it. Give it, give it, you know, two or three minutes. Um, for it to introduce itself and, and all of that kind of thing. Remember that it was made at a different time when people had much longer attention spans and uh, 17 minutes wasn't a long time um, for a short flick. So in the first couple of minutes, it's showing, you know, people being taken by the shell game and uh, and by other con artists and con men and women and you know, there's a guy who thinks he's hit it off with this woman in a bar and she leads him outside. He's thinking he's going to get lucky. And once she gets him out into the dark, her boyfriend or her partner or whatever uh, comes up behind him and knocks him out with the butt of a pistol and they rob him and run off and things like that. It's just kind of showing, uh, setting the tone of you know, complacency and, and being too trusting, uh, can bite you in the ass. That was kind of the idea. And then we're introduced to this guy, I believe his name is Michael. And, you know, he's a young man, uh, late twenties, early thirties. He's on the train marveling at what a wonderful country America is. And he gets off the train and heads into town, and as he's walking down the road, uh, he comes across sort of this street corner, uh, excuse me, I'm grabbing my notes, hang on, um, you know, sort of the uh, guy up on his soapbox, literally ranting and raving, and he's talking about how the Negroes and the immigrants are stealing jobs from Americans and, um, and how the Catholics are a problem. And can't remember if he calls out Jews or not. Now remember this is in America. Okay. And it's fictionalized. And you know, then they cut to a, a black guy in the crowd and he's shaking his head like that's bullshit. And the speaker just keeps rattling off all these different groups. <clears throat> And this Michael guy, who's sort of our 
main character at this point is sort of sitting there nodding his head, you know. And uh, there's an older man next to him and notices. And uh, he's like, well, you, you believe this guy? And the old man has an accent. And he's like, what, you're buying this? And he's like, I don't know, the guy's making a lot of sense. And then the speaker spouts out one more time, but this time it's about the Freemasons. And Michael kind of looks down at his hand where he's got his Masonic ring on, and he's like, hey, what's the matter with Masons? I'm a Mason. <laughs> and the old man's like, ah, well, you were totally on board up until he named your group. And he's like, yeah, well, it's different now. The guy's kind of like, yeah, no shit. And then it turns out that this older man is from Hungary and had been a university professor in Berlin, Germany, in the 30s and saw the rise of the Nazis and goes on to, and this is most of the rest of the movie, he goes on to sort of narrate this story that then we're shown in dramatic reenactment of Berlin in 1932, where it's a very similar sort of setting, right? But now, instead of it just being some guy in regular street clothes, standing up and talking to a crowd, it's a man in a Nazi uniform. And there's five men in particular in the crowd that, that we're, that, 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 that are brought to our attention. There's Eric the Catholic, Anton the Jew, Heinrich, who owns his own small business, a hardware store, Carl, who's a farmer, and Hans, who is an unemployed metal worker. And this Nazi guy that's up speaking promises that the Nazi party will provide land for the farmer, work for the worker, and profits for the small business owner. And who's getting these things now, he asks. It's the Jew who has stolen our nation and our birthright. So now all of a sudden Anton is the odd man out in this group, right? Everybody sort of moves away from him. And then the Nazi says, and the Catholics, we don't want our great nation run by a foreign church, he says. They and their faith must be destroyed. And so... This Eric, everybody moves away from him, right? So now Anton's a little island on his own, and Eric's a little island all on his own, and the rest of the crowd's around them. And the Freemasons. In Germany, we have no place for secret societies, the guy says. And as is pointed out, these guys were all just fellow Germans when they walked up to hear this guy talk, and now they're being split apart, right? Um, except for Hans, who's the unemployed guy, right? According to the Nazi, Hans was pure German. And everything that he heard, sort of like this Michael guy, everything that Hans heard the Nazis say, he agreed with. This is why I can't get a job. This is why I'm struggling. This is why I'm poor. It's all these other people's fault. These guys, these guys got my back. These guys, these guys are on my side. 
I'm going to join up. And this is how the Nazi party recruited people in the 30s when they were what we would now call just a startup, right? Once they had enough people, they set to work breaking apart trade unions. Any organized group was a threat to them, uh, opposing political parties, trade unions. Any, any group that was organized um, would, would likely resist what the Nazis had in mind. So they just systematically beat all of them down. There were just in the just in the film, and I'm sure there were many more. You know, we're pretty much the only country I'm aware of that only has two political parties. And in Germany back then, there were many. You know, in the in the film they show the Nationalist Party, the Social Democratic Party, the Communist Party, um, and they show in the film you know Nazis tearing down their banners and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and this is well before the war even started. Jews were beaten and killed and their businesses were given, uh, were taken over by the Nazis and given to what they considered real Germans. Hundreds of Catholics were put in jail because the Catholic church was, is huge, right? It was back then too, and very organized. So what the Nazis knew they had to do was frighten the Catholic congregants into submission. They couldn't, they couldn't scare the church, but they could scare the members of the church. And as great a job as they did at manipulating people and scaring people and taking power from people, they still had the truth <laughs> to contend with. Uh, and as is also pointed out in the film, Truth was their greatest enemy. So they did what they could to abolish the truth. Literature is a huge source of truth. So they held book burnings, built over, burned over 20 million books. Teachers, writers, and scientists were jailed or kicked out of the country. Education was absolutely discouraged. In five years, College attendance dropped by 53%. Germans weren't allowed to listen to radio broadcasts from England or read American newspapers. And I'm guessing the same goes for newspapers from England and radio shows from America. You know, any dissenting voice was not to be tolerated. And in Nazi Germany, there was one source for information, and that was Goebbels. Catholic and Protestant priests were jailed and put in concentration camps. Now, if only the people had not resorted to their baser instincts of distrust and fear and screw him before he can screw me sort of mentality, the Nazis never would have been able to get a foothold in Germany. But they were masters at manipulating people. 
and manipulating information. So what happened to the guys that were in that original street corner speech in Berlin in 1932? Carl the Farmer was convinced that he had a better life in store. But what he got was 100-hour work weeks and a mandate to produce what he was told to produce because now Hitler was preparing to wage war on Europe. Heinrich, the store owner, just like 104,000 other small business owners over the course of two years, had his shop closed. Hans, he thought everything was going to be hunky-dory for him, right? He had a job now, working in a munitions factory. Of course, the workload was increased by 20%, and the pay was lowered. Germans no longer had any trade unions to protect them, so they had no recourse over the longer hours and the lower pay. Working conditions got worse, and for what it's worth, you weren't allowed to quit your job. So then Hitler goes to war. Does he declare war? No. He just wages a series of sneak attacks. Basically, uh, the military equivalent of punching somebody when they're not looking. So now Hans is off to war. And uh, so is Heinrich. And so is Karl. The uh, Anton, was that his name? The Jewish fella? Yeah, Anton. Uh, he's probably either dead or in a concentration camp, and Eric may very well be uh, in jail, kicked out of the country, or dead himself. Hans ended up dead on the beach in Normandy. Heinrich in Salerno, Italy. And Carl in the snow outside of Moscow. Now, I guess some of what I'm getting at is probably pretty obvious, but let's what did they what did they do the Nazis they well you know first let's discuss let's discuss a little bit more before I get into that um are Nazism and fascism the same or different? Well, if you would have asked somebody in the thirties or forties, they would have said that they're different. Um, they've come to be almost synonymous now, although a lot of people these days, at least here in the States, when they think Nazi, all they think of is racist or anti-Semite. But there's a lot more to it than that. Essentially, fascism was born with Mussolini, right, in Italy, and obviously Nazism in Germany with Hitler, but the Nazis were really fascist fascists with additional rules. <laughs> um, there was a great, uh, great piece I found 
here. I'm going to read it real quick. Um, this was on a, a Quora question online. A gentleman named Stephen Lee wrote this back in July of 2015. Fascism is a right-wing nationalist movement that believes one's nation, people, or culture has become decadent and corrupt and seeks to restore some mythical past glory. It reserves the right to determine exactly what that is, as well as the means to achieve its ends. It is anti-democratic in that part of the fascist philosophy assumes that liberal and left-leaning legislatures are largely responsible for the cultural rot. As a consequence, fascism justifies the use of violence carry him out on a stretcher, against its political enemies because the fascist has determined that his political enemies are not truly representatives of the people, nation, or culture, and therefore are illegitimate. At the time that the first fascist parties came to prominence, their primary political opponents were socialists and communists, and the inherent international agenda of the Marxist parties gave the fascists as cultural nationalists, an enormous amount of propaganda value. The fascist party originated in Italy under Benito Mussolini, coming to power in 1922, which gave Hitler about 10 years to sort of go, hmm, I can use that part, and I can use that part, and I'll add this part. And... Fascism as a definition and set of political principles derives its name from the Italian original. The Nazis... And here's something that too many people either don't know or like to forget or not think about. The Nazis weren't called the Nazis, right? They were the National Socialist German Workers' Party. They represented the blue-collar guys. They represented the working people. The Nazis or Nationalist, National Socialist German Workers' Party was fascistic in its ideology, but obviously distinct from Italian fascism in that its roots were found within German culture and German history. The virulent anti-Semitism of the Nazi Party, for example, tapped into historical German prejudices and long-standing perceptions of Jewish, Germ Jewish Germans as alien to the Volk and is not in and of itself necessarily a reflection of fascistic philosophy, fascist philosophy. But the illogical assumption by the Nazis that Jews were part of both capitalist and communist conspiracies against the German people made the Jews of Germany, and then subsequently of the defeated nations of Europe, particularly vulnerable targets for the most murderous aspects of Nazism and its most thuggish adherents. So... Am I the only one that's hearing a bunch of comparisons to the shit that's going down in America right now? Now, full stop, I am not calling Trump a Nazi, okay? <laughs> Let's be very clear. That term gets thrown around entirely too often and usually inaccurately by people that are just frustrated, you know? Um, I've heard people from every political bent call somebody that they didn't like a Nazi. Um, and that's not what I'm doing here. I'm not, I'm not 
slinging arrows. What I'm doing is I'm comparing how fascists manipulated the populace in order to come to power in such a way as the very people that they were appealing to and the very people that brought them to power were among their first victims. They were cannon fodder. They were a means to an end and nothing more. How did they do that? By separating the populace and villainizing minorities and immigrants. We heard that in both of the street corner speeches in Don't Be a Sucker, right? Well, we've got major vilification of immigrants of all different types to America right now. We've got Mexican immigrants, Muslim immigrants, immigrants from specific countries and regions of the world. We've got vilification of, by some members of the Trump administration uh, and Trump himself, vilification of people based purely on country of origin. Um, and we've got, to the next point, target the uneducated, poor members of the majority, right? So, not for a whole lot longer in this country, but for the time being, white people are still the majority. So, find the uneducated people, the people that are struggling, the people that feel like nobody's listening, the people that feel like the government has screwed them over, and tell them, hey, you put me in that chair, and I'm going to fix shit. I'm going to make it all right. I promise. I'm going to get you all jobs. I'm going to reopen the factories. I'm going to reopen the coal mines. We're going to start drilling in the Arctic. We're going to, what you name it, whatever it takes to get those people on board, you say it to them. Just like Carl the Farmer. Organized groups are a threat. Other political parties, trade unions, protesters, all need to be vilified. And once again, truth is the enemy. Alternative facts, anybody? Abolish truth in any form it may take. Journalism? Hello? Calling some of the most respected news organizations in the world fake news? Claiming that organizations like Breitbart, for fuck's sake, are, are, are news, uh, are, are journalists of any type. Um, this is, this is what's going on. To a fascist, the state is the only reliable source of information. What is the Trump administration saying right now? Don't listen to all those fucking journalists. Don't listen to those guys. They don't like us. Just listen to us. We won't steer you wrong. Oh, I know they say we're lying, but they don't like us. They're our enemies. And you know what? They're your enemy, too. They're an enemy of the people. Don't listen to them. And, and you tell anybody 
you tell anybody who is listening to them that that's fake news because Papa Trump said so. Okay? And I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. And again, discouraging education. Take, take two, three minutes. Google our new Secretary of Education. See what she's all about. I don't give a shit that she's a billionaire. I don't even really give a shit that she gave hundreds of million dollars to Republican candidates over the years. I mean, I do, but that's not why she's completely fucking unqualified for the job. <laughs> and, I mean, seriously, go through every... Just go find the bio of every person that he's... Uh, that he's chosen for his cabinet. It's a shit show, you guys. And the ones that are sort of somewhat reasonable sort of get lost in the mix. There's not very many of them, but there are some, but they get sort of lost in the mix because you're the whole time you're going, what the fuck? Serious? Really? Like every person. It's fucking nutballs right now. Before I move on, I want to, just for those of you, I know 17 minutes is going to be too much for some people, and I want to read this thing, and keep in mind that this is from World War II, okay? This was recorded during the war. This is one of the last things that our Hungarian professor character says towards the end of the film. We must never let that happen to us or to our country. We must never let ourselves be divided by race or color or religion. Because in this country, we all belong to minority groups. I was born in Hungary. You are a Mason. These are minorities. And then you belong to other minorities as well. You're a farmer. You have blue eyes. You go to the Methodist church. Your right to belong to these minorities is a precious thing. You have a right to be what you are and say what you think. Because here we have personal freedom. We have liberty. And these are not just fancy words. This is a practical and priceless way of living. But we must work at it. We must guard everyone's liberties, or we can lose our own. If we allow any minority to lose its freedom by persecution or by prejudice, we are threatening our own freedom. This is not simply an idea. This is good, hard common sense. You see, here in America, it is not a question of whether we tolerate minorities. America is minorities. So, how did this happen, right? How did, we, how did we get to where we are now? Well, I've spoken to some of it so far, but there's some distinctions that have to be made too, and they can also be done with some comparisons to this film. You know, the guys in Germany 
these fictional guys in this movie weren't necessarily anti-Semites when they went to that meeting or even when they joined the Nazi party. They, they just wanted a better life for themselves, right? So what if we replace Jew with liberal elite or libtard or bleeding heart or snowflake or any of the other pejoratives uh it's vilification right and it's those people are against you they're the ones that are holding you down they're the ones that they're the reason that your factory closed they're the reason that you're unemployed they're the reason that there's a meth problem in your county you know all of these things and people want to believe that there is an enemy. They want to believe that they don't have control over their own situation and their own fate, right? But one of the things you'll find if you take the time to look and you don't really have to spend that much time is many of the people, the groups that make up what I'm going to refer to as Trump's base. And by that, I mean the people who really made the difference in getting him elected. And let's, let's be real clear here because I'm getting really tired <laughs> of hearing that because I disagree with Trump's policies and I disagree with his behavior and his cabinet choices and the things that he says and his policies and all of this, that I'm a whiny liberal um, or that I deny the election or any of this. Uh, this is another, another trope that the Trump followers have fallen into of anybody who disagrees is not only the enemy, but they're just a bunch of babies. I don't know about anybody else, but I've been on social media since before Obama got elected, and I saw all of the shit from the right for eight years while Obama was in office, so kind of pot kettle, if if you're asking me. But no, he got elected. You know, the, uh, the de Democrats were a little too complacent. They... Um, that now, huh, see, now this whole thing gets us into, um, this is going to be a whole another, we're going to do a whole episode on, um, uh, I'm going to use the documentary, um, uh, the best democracy money can buy to talk about, um, voter suppression and, and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that that didn't play a role here. It absolutely did. But, you know, we've got this electoral college thing. We've got, uh, you know, and as it stands right now, you know, he got enough electoral college votes. It is what it is. I'm not saying he didn't get elected. What I'm saying is he is fucking dangerous. Just for the record, I'm not whining. So, <clears throat> so these people and the, the people in what I'm referring to in the, at least my definition of his base, the people, the low income, low education, blue collar, white people who have widely been touted as 
the reason he got elected in states like uh, I know Pennsylvania is one that it's like you know you look on the on the electoral map and it's all red usually, but then in the population centers it's blue, and so it tends to go Democrat. Well, that didn't happen this year, and that same thing in in other areas. And it's because of what I've been talking about, and they did it really, really well. The only problem is they were lying to these people. <laughs> And here we are, a couple of months in, he's proving that he was lying, and they're still all just drinking the Kool-Aid. But the, these demographics of people have a history of voting against their best interest and, and being manipulated into doing so. You know, one of the things I've seen way more than I would have thought possible on social media and online is Facebook posts and tweets and other such social media activity from people literally saying they don't give a shit if Obamacare gets repealed because they have the Affordable Care Act for their health insurance. If anybody listening doesn't know, those are the same fucking thing. Obamacare is the nickname that the Republicans gave to the Affordable Care Act. So if you're somebody who voted for Trump because you wanted Obamacare repealed, and weren't worried because your health insurance is through the Affordable Care Act, you just fucked yourself. Or at least you've got to admit you didn't know what the hell you were doing when you voted for him. I vividly remember during the campaign his very specific promises about health care and his adamant statements that we're gonna, it's gonna be number one priority. We're gonna repeal Obamacare and we're gonna replace it with something better. Well, Mr. Trump, what are you gonna replace it with? Don't worry about it. Trust me, it's gonna be great. We've got it all figured out. We're gonna just pop it right in like a jigsaw puzzle piece. It's gonna be super simple. It's gonna be simple. It's gonna be less expensive. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be tremendous, right? This is all stuff that he said. And then just a little while ago, he came out and said, nobody knew healthcare was so complicated. Fucking facepalm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <clears throat> so, I have a friend of mine, and he is a friend of mine. I've mentioned him on the show before, who grew up here in Santa Cruz. He lives in North Carolina now. To be very clear, he was a conservative Republican when he lived here. So I'm not claiming that he moved to North Carolina and living there changed his politics. That's not true at all. But he really, really hates the liberals and the Democrats and um, makes no bones about it on his Facebook. And a lot of the reason 
these days seems to be because his county in North Carolina has been having a rough time, factories closing and whatnot, increasing drug problems, and, you know, he lives in a rural part of the state, and he blames NAFTA for all of it. It's all NAFTA and the Democrats. First of all, NAFTA is a federal program, and it's been a net win. Um, this is what happens when you do trade deals. Um, unfortunately, you have to take the good with the bad, and um, some people are hurt by any sort of large trade deal like this, and don't let Trump tell you any different. However, there are other states where they lobbied industry and they lobbied manufacturers and uh, they went, look, we've got this factory sitting right here and this um, hardworking, well-trained workforce that's dying to get back to work. What do you say we give you a tax break? I think Illinois and Indiana are two of the places where this happened. You know, you guys come in, retool the factory to make your widget and um, and pay our union guys to to run the factory for you. And they got some takers and people ended up in better shape than before NAFTA, uh, before NAFTA came around and, and those companies left. Other companies came in and they're doing fantastic. When I brought that up to him, he said, oh, so you're telling it, I should just tell people to move to Indiana or Illinois? It's like, no, I'm saying you should vote people into your local state and, uh, you know, your your municipalities and your counties and your state and, and things like that that are going to fucking work for you to make shit happen. They're going to advocate for you. They're going to represent you, it's right there in their title, folks. Now, I get that if you're a union factory worker in North Carolina and the company that ran your factory left after NAFTA and you lost your job, you don't give a shit that it was a net win. Of course you don't. But you're also focusing a little bit too much on you know you've got kind of tunnel vision on nafta rather than looking at the big picture is what i'm saying it starts at the bottom politics starts at the bottom and far too many people of all political ideologies pay little to no attention to what's going on right in their neighborhood and their city and their county and their state. Everybody knows who the president is. A significantly smaller percentage of people know the name of their representatives in Congress and an infinitesimally smaller group can tell you who their county supervisor or their city council members or their school board members, or their election board officials, or any of the other elected officials in their locality are. They either, if they vote, if they bother to vote, they just either vote top of the ticket, 
you know, president, vice president, maybe for uh, senator and um, and representative. Uh, and then just ignore the down ticket people or they just vote straight down ticket, you know, full Democrat, full Republican, full green, whatever. Um, when that's not always the best idea, you know, what you should do before you exercise the very, very important right that we should hold very dearly to vote. I don't know. Turn off you porn for a couple hours, turn off Netflix for a couple hours. Do a little bit of research on the candidates that are running that you may or may not want to vote for. You may be surprised that what the person who you think you want to vote for just because of what letter comes after their name, they might actually not be interested in helping you whatsoever. And most of the time you can find that just by going to their website. You know? So how can I, how can I make any, any hay out of this? How can I, is there anything I can use to make this point? using sort of North Carolina as the case study. Well, I think most people would agree that income is tied to education. Doesn't necessarily have to be a formal education, but you have to be an expert at something to make a lot of money doing it. Uh, you know, there are welders that make six figures a year. There are plenty of, of trades and skills and um, things that don't need an advanced degree where you can make a very comfortable living in this country. But you have to learn how to do it. You, you, you don't just you know, go, okay, well, my pappy was a UAW worker and so was my dad. And so I'm just going to join the UAW and I'm going to work on the assembly line and work my way up. And maybe one day I'll be shop foreman or whatever. And that's that, that's all, that's all I'm going to do. That's, 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 I have my blinders on, you know? Um, and then the factory closes for whatever reason, and you're screwed and you need somebody to blame other than yourself. I know a man on the East coast worked at the same company for 35 years, started literally when he was in high school, literally sweeping the floors. I mean, it's that age old, story. Worked his way up, took night school classes, everything. And by the time he was set to retire, he was uh, an electrical engineer. He was a manager in, I believe, the electri electrical engineering um, department of this large factory in New Jersey. 
I think it was the year he was set to retire, maybe the year before. 35 years, same company. Imagine the pension this guy had built up. And this guy worked shit tons of overtime, weekends. I mean, he's just one of those. His work ethic was absolutely incredible because he was planning for retirement. He's like, I'm just going to bust my ass for 35, 40 years. And then I'm going to be in good shape. I'm going to have a pension. I'm going to have Social Security. I'm going to have, you know, all of that good stuff. Well, right before he was supposed to retire, there was a merger or a hostile takeover. And another company bought the company that owned his factory. And, of course, everybody was in a panic, freaking out. Oh, my God, they're going to ship production overseas. They're going to lay a bunch of us off. They're going to automate the factory, you know. And there was no word from the new uh, corporate owners for a couple of months. And finally, they called a big meeting. And they were like, we just want to reassure everybody we have no intentions of laying anybody off. We have no intentions of moving the factory. We have no intentions of, you know, we bought this company because we like their product. We like, you know, blah, 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 all of that. Really good news. But that sigh of relief didn't last very long because the next thing they said was, however, in going through the books, we realized that the previous owners, in an attempt to remain solvent, plundered the pension fund. Your pensions are all gone. Fucking imagine. This company that you've given your blood, sweat, and tears to stole all your money that you were counting on for retirement. So, this guy that I know, that I'm talking about, went back to working 12 hours a day, 6, 7 days a week, for like 10 more years, just trying to build up whatever he could. This is what corporations do to people. This guy did everything right and still got fucked. So, education is tied to income, is what I was talking about. Well, how do you ensure that the children of your state, the citizens of your state, get a good education. Well, you pay attention to who you hire for your city council and your school board and your county supervisor and your state representatives, and you make sure that what they have in mind for education is also what you have in mind for education. And when they don't do it, you call them out on it. And you hold their feet to the fire and you write letters and you go to their office and you go to their meetings. North Carolina's high schools rank 38th in the nation. Is that because 
people who are born in North Carolina are stupider than people in 37 other states? I doubt it. I can't see how that would be possible. So could it be that they've been voting against their own best interests in at least that category for a significant amount of time? And what happens when you're the kid who does enjoy education, who's from North Carolina? You leave because you're from a place that doesn't value you. North Carolina is also one of the states, and I don't know how many of you even know that this is a thing, but states were not mandated to sign, a, sign on to the Affordable Care Act. They didn't have to. They were incentivized to, but they weren't mandated and North Carolina declined the Affordable Care Act. Which means that they decided against the federal government funding North Carolina's Medicaid program 100% until the year 2020, and 90% after that. What does that mean? That equates, in pure numbers... To almost 600,000 people, 593,000 to be exact, in North Carolina who have no health care, who would have received federally mandated health care through Medicaid that would have been 100% paid for by the federal government until 2020. And then 90% after that, 593,000 people. And they went, fuck no Obama, fuck him. <laughs> and it's all about, you know, just like, just like the word liberal has become, uh, you know, the, the like when 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 certain people say the word liberal you, you can you can feel the bile and the acid coming off their tongue when they say it, it it's just this you know liberal yeah you know and uh the word entitlement uh entitlement programs and things like that that has gotten a similar uh reputation among that group and i don't know any other way to say this other than to say all that means is that you're entitled to it look it up <laughs> they talk about sucking off the government tit they tell people just get a fucking job well Imagine for a second you were that guy I told you about a couple of minutes ago whose pension fund got plundered or somebody whose union job at the 
auto plant or the steel mill or the coal mine went away. Um, that's it. And then as luck would have it, your pregnant wife goes into early labor. Well, you got no, you got no company health insurance anymore. You sure as hell can't afford Cobra. You've decided that nobody in your state needs Medicaid. Well, I guess you're just going to have to go on the installment plan to pay the medical bills. And then, oh shit, baby's born, but there's a problem. She's got to go into the NICU. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that NICU bills hit seven figures real quick. So, having these programs can make a life-changing difference because of a series of events that you had absolutely no control over whatsoever. Yeah, are there welfare frauds? Sure. Not nearly as many <clears throat> as the Republicans try and say there are. You know, oh, oh, the illegal immigrants are on Medicaid and blah, blah, blah. It's all fucking bluster. I guess my point is you don't have the right to determine who has the right or who's worthy of getting free or affordable health care. You know, it's kind of like when you talk about the abortion debate, right? I, I totally agree with this thought that's out there, and I can't remember who I first heard it from, but I wish, I mean, I, I already know that the pro-life title is already disingenuous, right? But um, it's just like how pro-life people call pro-choice people pro-abortion, as though anybody is pro-abortion. <laughs> um, I wish the pro-life people would change that to pro-birth. And I know I'm, I didn't invent this. I can't remember the first place I heard it, but I love it. it it's perfect. Um, because you want to force the 17-year-old girl whose boyfriend took off the moment he found out she was pregnant and her parents have disowned her. You want to force her to have that baby, you know, because you're pro-life, because it's all about the rights of the fetus. Um, and she should have known better. She never should have had sex in the first place and whatnot, right? But after you have forced her to have that child, you wash your hands of the whole situation. Well, my taxes aren't going to pay to feed that kid. My taxes aren't going to pay for that kid's diapers. It's bad enough that my taxes have to pay for her to go to a school that ranks 38th in the country out of 50. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's so hypocritical. So let's try and bring this full circle back to sort of where we started, right? Um, because the whole point in me wanting to talk about this movie, Don't Be a Sucker, was the glaring 
comparisons between how the fascists and or the Nazis, I, I consider Nazis fascists, you know, fascists with a, you know, with an armband, <laughs> whatever. The way that their propaganda worked, the way that they manipulated the people, the the most vulnerable, most frightened, um, insecure, uneducated people into putting them into the position of power that they so badly wanted. And let's be real clear. That's all this is about for Mr. Trump. He's clearly clueless as to what being POTUS means. Um, he's proven that over and over again. He's barely been in office two months and what's going to happen when these people who acted entirely in good faith and took him at his word realize that he never had any intention of following through on a huge percentage of the promises that he made and at what point does fealty end and waking up begin the idea of oh just give him a chance oh it's only been this long it hasn't here blah 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 you know yeah i get it you don't want to admit you made a mistake and he hasn't lodged a nuke yet or anything. He did uh, sign off on an unadvisable raid in Yemen that got one of our SEALs killed and then nauseatingly used that SEAL's widow as the centerpiece for part of his address to Congress recently. Which was fucking disgusting. Oh, yeah, and he also blamed the generals. Let's not miss that. He also blamed the generals. He doesn't understand what the buck stops here means. He doesn't understand what being commander-in-chief means. You gave the order. I went to a military academy and then got five deferments to keep himself out of Vietnam. And now he's standing there with a fucking bomber jacket trying to look all badass makes me sick and the funny thing is this isn't really even political for me this is more about humanity and decency than it is politics you know I wasn't a fan of W, but holy fuck, I'd take him in a heartbeat over this guy. In a heartbeat. I saw W on one of the morning shows, just a clip from it, and they asked him some questions, and he sounded exactly the same as always. He's never, I mean, he's a little older now, and whatever, you know, 
he was on there to promote his god awful watercolors, but um, you know, art's in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure some people like his work. Um, but they asked him some questions, and to his credit, he answered them. You know, he he was diplomatic, I guess. You know, he didn't name any names or anything like that. But you know, he made some valid points, and I was like. Wow, he sounds exactly the same as always, but all of a sudden he sounds so much smarter than he used to because I'm used to this fucking tweet monster guy that's in the White House now who just, oh, God, I'm so glad I mentioned Twitter because this is, this is something that I also wanted to talk about on this episode. God, I'm so glad I remembered. Folks, this is hugely important. The, 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 the lies and the outrageous, ridiculous things that he says, especially on Twitter in the middle of the night and stuff like that. And the fact that he'll just go make a public appearance and tell lie after lie after lie after lie. What you have to understand about that is he knows that you know that he's lying and he knows that the media knows that he's lying. But most importantly, he knows that his base doesn't know he's lying and that's who he's talking to. That is who he is always talking to is these same folks that I keep talking about these folks that have been hoodwinked with promises of prosperity and Papa Trump's going to take care of you. That's who he's talking to because he wants to reassure them and make them believe that he's still on point and on mission for all of the things that he promised that made them vote for him. Right. So I guess this is as good a place as any to stop. We're just over an hour, which is kind of the sweet spot for these things. In my opinion. Um, thanks very much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. I hoping that this episode will create a further discussion on some of these topics and the dialogue and all of that uh, may be hard for some to believe, but I'm really not trying to divide. I'm trying to make a comparison here in, you know, the behavior of a group 70 years ago and what I see as startlingly similar behavior happening right now in this country. Um, I think it's undeniable. And I think it's worth paying attention to and pointing out and speaking truth to power. You know what I mean? Calls them as a season, that sort of thing. And unless and until we can have a dialogue about these things, we're just going to keep running in opposite directions. And I don't think it's too much to ask for people to look at things from the other perspective without losing their minds and getting defensive and using 
all of these different terms that we've, you know, the name calling and the, you know, when you, one of the things that I'm seeing happen all the time now is I point out something that's going on that seems underhanded or corrupt or, you know, whatever in this current administration. And his supporters just go, well, what about so-and-so? Well, what about so-and-so? Whether it's Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or anybody else. And it's like, well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the guy that's in the chair right now. We're talking about the guy that sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. Respond to that, not by saying, well, what about so-and-so? That That's not the point. It's not germane to the conversation. We're talking about the guy that's in there now. Explain to me how some of these things that I'm pointing out are wrong or why you agree with them, why you support these things and this behavior. I mean, don't get me started on House Resolution 610. If you're not aware of what that is, look it up. (laughs) You know, because when it comes to public education, for people that aren't rolling in money, if they're able to pass that, shit's going to get real. And it's not going to be pretty. But nobody's paying attention to that stuff. All they're paying attention to is his tweets and, you know, it's banging this bell over here so you don't see the, the, the person sneaking into the room to steal your jewelry. You know, it's all distraction. But that's another episode. And, um, right on the heels of this one, we got another one coming. So I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, like our Facebook page. You know, you can always hit our Twitter at Life of Riley Pod. Finally, before I sign off, one final thank you to our new friend Sammy for her amazing uh, review on iTunes and for giving us a heads up on it via Twitter. And she's now friends on Facebook and all good stuff. It's always, always, we're always looking to meet new people and hear new voices and all that kind of great thing. So many thanks again, Sammy. It's nice to have you here. And um, hopefully we'll chat some more soon. The final thing, anybody who's been with us for a while knows our friends Luke and Hamish down in New Zealand and their podcast, uh, Press X to Jump, which is no more. But now they have a new one. Luke, Hamish, and Patty, the podcast, I believe is what they're calling it. And we're going to be cross-promoting with those guys again real soon. Hopefully at the end of the month is what we're hoping. Um, So look forward to that. It's always a ton of fun. And we usually go on and on and on to the point where we have to break it into two episodes. (laughs) Or else people get mad because the download is too big for their device. but that should be a lot of fun. Check out their new podcast. And um, I'll put a link to all of this stuff in the show notes. And we will take it from there. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.